Keep your hands and head inside the vehicle at all times. Buckle your seatbelts, check your mirrors, sit on back and relax. It's lights out and away we go for the Tall and Short of It podcast. Just like a house elf. Better, uh, better seen than heard. Hello, speak everybody. <laughs> yep, speak when spoken to. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Tall and Short of It podcast. Coming to you live from the Room of Requirement. I'm your host, Justin. And I'm Aaron. How are you doing, Justin? We've got a, a good episode for the week. I'm guessing you've played some more Hogwarts Legacy uh, this week. Is that where where we're going? <laughs> All sorts of it. But, you know, I did have a different I did have a different one. But right in the moment, I, uh, I changed it up because we had a different intro going. That was very fun. But yeah, good to see you, man. It's it's been a week. Um, looking forward to the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. But before we get all into that, how are you doing? Good to see you. I'm doing pretty good. Good to see you too. Uh, we've got a, a pretty busy episode as usual today, so I'll lead us off with the rose thorn and seed for the week. Um, so my rose this week uh, is just that daylight savings is over. I love having the light out later. It was nice today. We're getting going a little bit late because Senna was home alone all day, only had her uh, her brief time when Willie came over to uh, to dog sit for us for the day. Yeah, so he, uh, he came over and got her energy out a little bit, but we needed to take her on a nice walk. And now that it's still light out at, the six o'clock when I get home, it's perfect. Um, so it's just nice. I prefer this. I would prefer this all year, but, uh, nonetheless, it's back, uh, normal time. So my thorn for this week is actually from, it's from work today, but, uh, we had a court case that we have to take a resident to court to evict them. And, uh, me and my, property manager showed up at court like we're supposed to and there had been a continuance filed that is delaying this by two weeks um that no one told us about so we drove over to the courthouse to deal with this and then uh just to be told sorry come back later um so just a little annoyed at that this thing's been just kind of like hanging over our heads like a little rain cloud at work. So I'm, I would just prefer it to be over and done with. Um, but nonetheless, still, uh, still lingering. So, um, I'll have to deal with that in a couple weeks. Damn. Yeah. Just picking it down the road. And now is the continuation from the, you know, from the other party, is it yeah. being irresponsible? Uh, they weren't available for this court time, mm, apparently. Yes, so, yeah, only knew about it for the past three weeks, but could couldn't be available. Got Courthouse it. is five minutes down the road from from the property. So, yeah, oh, okay. uh, yeah, but really, just tough to get to, um, inconvenient. Yeah, but <laughs> uh, my seat for this week, though, is this weekend. I'm looking forward to going and grabbing breakfast with my pop up. Um, I haven't seen him in a little bit, so I'm going to see him pop over and say hi to uh, to my little nephew and uh, and my family and all, and then head on back here to Philly. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. I'll be down in your uh, neck of the woods. One of Pop-Op's weekend diners is is not too far from your place. So 
Hell yeah. Well, hey man, if you want to do a pop in, I'm always open to it. But I love a good I love a good uh, weekend breakfast. That sounds exciting. Yeah, I'm big uh big diner fan. I'm sure I've talked about it before, but mm-hmm. I love to go and drink that diner coffee. I don't know what it is about it, but I can't get enough. It's my favorite hot coffee to drink. I'm probably weird for that. But uh, but yeah, looking forward to that this weekend. But enough about me. What's been going on with you? Uh, what's your rose thorn and seed for this week? Well, to start, I think there's a large population of people that enjoy, you know, the old diner coffee. I used to have I used to have a gang of uh, gentlemen come in and but, you know, like real early morning guys. And yeah, I mean, most of it was just just for the coffee and you figure you know, I, you could easily go to like a Dunkin' or a MacD's or whatever, but they would sit at the fucking counter and drink it. I feel like people either love it or hate it, I guess. Oh, okay. I've heard okay, so many enough. people like trash it and like, oh, it's stale. It tastes burn. It's like, eh. I'm like, I, I like it. Diner coffee is good to me. I feel like. I feel like that's just the meme, though, like especially like have you ever been in a diner usually at those times when you're like drinking the coffee? Oh, yeah. There's a million it's other like people rolling. in there. So yeah. you think they have time to just leave a pot on the thing and not right. That's all it? fresh coffee. Like, yeah, it exactly. Is, so yeah. I, I think it's kind of a meme. And especially even like when I was working the third shift diner, it's like it, I would just make you a fresh pot of coffee like i don't know i never just left it on from like yeah. the four o'clock shit whatever coffee is yeah. not that uh pricey that you can't throw some more maxwell house into the <laughs> thing exactly <laughs> uh so yeah no no hatred on the on the diner coffee for me but i'll give you a little bit of my rose thorn and seed here so i'll start with my seed i was uh dabbling around with some ai image generation obviously it's been I in saw. the zeitgeist the um our discord service i guess has teamed up with uh an ai service i'll say i don't i don't really know specifically but you get a couple of free trials obviously like more behind a paywall but i was trying it out it seems cool although i imagine there are like i imagine there are bot slash services that are able to draw from a larger data set or do like more mm. search. Um, so some of the stuff that was returned was like kind, it was cool, but ultimately like not at all what I was prompting it for in the sense of, I was hoping to get more of like, I was hoping for more of a, it searched the internet, it finds that data and says like, okay, this is what it is. And it does like its own its own render. What came back was like very abstract and not at all so search I, related. I think part of that, and this is something that I've learned from watching people start to use these, whether it's on TikTok or like other like Twitter or whatever. But um with these um AI chat creation things it seems like you have to give pretty specific detail for them to, or like very specific instructions Mm -hmm. um, on it. So like you, one of the ones I think I saw you did was like Saudi Arabian Grand Prix circuit or something Mm -hmm. like that. And it looks like it's just 
some random weird not real like track that's got a right. stadium like in that and yeah and it's so more, it looks more about the stadium than actually like a circuit yeah and so yeah. i think you would have to like if you wanted you'd have to say like create an image of the jetta saudi arabian grand prix formula one circuit or something sure. like that and then it would create some sort of like image of that or, or some some different choices but i i've noticed that you have to be very specific otherwise it will be like super abstract oh yeah and i mean you know hey i'm i'm not complaining i it was just it was just interesting because you we only had so many tries, so I don't think I was going to be able to hone anything in. I tried to like prompt it with an image as well. Cause I know you could have it just like, you know, just give it an image, have it alter it in some way. And that helps. Um, but yeah, it was just interesting and cool to get a taste of something that I've heard a lot of conversation. You see a bunch of YouTube mm-hmm. thumbnails with like being made with it. Um, yeah. so yeah, just interesting. Um, so that's my seed here. My thorn is, um, I thoroughly enjoy getting out on a drive, but something has changed, I think, in the time since I was like really, really in the car where it seems like uh, fragmented minds. It doesn't feel like traffic. It feels like individual cars. And that is like an odd feeling where I think previously there was a there was a sense of like movement together people wanting to kind of get where they're going um and i'm i'm not sure what's changed i'm not you know i i I don't want to point any fingers just an observation and it just creates some like 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 just individual people who are like just not going with the flow of things and jamming things up or just like yeah okay and like not realizing they're creating like pressure points for like larger vehicles and things. And it's like, mm. Oh no, you got to like keep moving. These things need space too. They want to get into the other lane. There's like, yeah, there's weird things going on where, yeah, it feels like people are like blocking and jamming stuff up. It's like, it's uh, I think it from, since I drive so much going to and from work, I'm going like yeah. 40 miles a day round trip, which is like, that's decently far for a, yeah. for a work commute. So I think it's just lack of awareness from people. Sure. Like I'm jamming out some my so music. Do you see it too? Yeah, but okay. it's it's like uh, it's the number of people I see using their cell phones while driving is astronomical. Yeah. The number of people who like and being around the city, I'm always like prepared for someone to do something stupid. Um, yeah. because there's just so many cars around and it, it's very busy. So like, I'm always just like anticipating, I'm like, I'll be coming up in one lane and see a car in the other lane that I'm like, that they don't look like they're driving quite, quite normally. Like, I think they're like, you have to look for these tiny things like, oh, that, that car is driving a bit too close to the middle line. Like. I think they could very easily come over into my lane or just, mm-hmm. or, or like switch lanes without signaling or, or do like, I'm waiting for someone to cut me off to, to like mm-hmm. get too close and, and whatnot. So I think it's just people, especially with, I, I 
like I do think cell phones are a big issue with driving and all because I sure. just see so many people using them and then not paying attention. I'm like, thank God the person in front of you just isn't having to slam on the brakes suddenly because you will be smashing into the the back of their car. Like it's it's yeah. I think uh, lack of awareness, maybe a little bit of um, selfishness, like only only thinking about yourself and how things affect you and people just mm-hmm. drive kind of erratically and i think some people are just bad drivers so i i'm i've got a lot of opinions on driving hey, that's a that's a solid you know one two uh one two kick man you know not bad uh but yeah so some not traffic you know people like you said being more uh maybe more selfish on the road but my rose here kind of bringing it all back into what we're here for. Um, so me and Sarah tuned into the optic major three this weekend, and it was fun to go from like group stage Friday, watching a couple of the games really. And I'll be honest, I'll be honest, bro. I, I got no fucking clue. I got no fucking clue. There's a couple legacy players that I know. I understand, like, I, I, I get the flow of the game, but beyond that, I was, like, I was pretty green. Now, understand, yeah. I was tuned in back around, like, it was probably, like, 2014, 2015, Optic Nade Shot was playing on the team with Scump, and it was, like, you know, yeah. it was pretty big run but because it was never like my game it wasn't an easy follow right so fella whatever it doesn't matter me and sarah watching it it was fun to go from friday to sunday and then by like you know by grand final sunday be like oh yeah understanding like positionings Mm. and where on friday everything looks so frantic and fast and i'm like what the fuck is control? I have no idea what's happening. And then all the way to Sunday where both of us are like really tuned in. And it's like, Oh, this is like, this is sweet. We know what's going on. We're like, Oh yeah. Hotel hard point. Like that's so sick. And like now it isn't so fast right now. We like understand it a little bit. Um, so the rose is like, like learning about a call of duty major, like on the fly over the course of a weekend with Sarah, who was like, pretty down she enjoyed it um and we and we had a lot of uh we had a lot of fun with it so that's that's my rose for the week kind of looping it all back in here nice very cool and we'll get to talk about that major a little bit more a little later on um but moving right into the episode we've got some uh some other news just around the motorsports world and whatnot but uh Kimi Raikkonen is going to be making a return to NASCAR later this month uh, so he'll be going around the uh, the old oval ring uh, again. So he's going to be, uh, let's see here. He's going to be racing at Circuit of the Americas, uh, I believe, with the same team, Project 91, that he had previously driven with um, when he drove at Watkins Glen last year. So mm-hmm. he'll be joining the NASCAR grid uh, along with him, Coming up here, which I think I'll, I'll have to double check uh, if it's yeah. Also at Circuit of the Americas, um, Jensen Button will be joining uh, in oh, and cool. in that NASCAR event. So 
that's going to be pretty cool. He'll be with uh, Haas Mobile One team. So um, jumping into a, a car for the first time in a, well, I imagine not necessarily the first time in a little bit, but competing again for the first time in a little bit for uh, Jensen Button. Well, just to just to open it up, yeah, you're curious how much how much an individual like that has opportunity for drives, you know, be it a lot or a little. I'm just curious what the opportunities are like, but this seems like a pretty good one for him. That seems fun. Yeah, I'm kind of curious, like what kind of event this is. I'll I'll have to look a little bit more because for there to be a number of these uh, like not typical NASCAR drivers hopping in cars and everything, I feel like in most cases teams would want their like best drivers out on circuit and everything, the guys that they have week in week out. So I'm wondering if this is more of a um, like exhibition type event or, or whatnot. Um, But either way, it'll be cool. I'll be checking out, see how they do um, their racing at the circuit of the Americas. I think that'll be uh, in a week or so. Um, I don't believe it's this weekend. Um, and then another, uh, little topic I wanted to, we don't have to dig too far into it, but Callum Islet was, uh, talking, I guess on a podcast and he was explaining how, or no, uh, Callum Islet shared this post of a guy talking on a podcast. Um, but basically you can go to all 17 IndyCar like race days for, a total of about a hundred or uh, of about a thousand dollars, like total combined 17 races for like a thousand dollars for just general admission. So probably like 60 bucks per race. Um, right. And comparing that to like formula one right now with their ticket prices, it's kind of insane. Like it's, I, I mean, I got an email the other day from a salesperson with the Miami Grand Prix and they're like, taught like, they're like, Oh, are you interested? Cause I had put a, us on the, uh, the wait list last year and they reached out and I was like looking at the tickets a little bit and everything. And it's like, uh, close to a thousand dollars for like just any seating for the weekend and all. And I'm like, that's one race. IndyCar, you can go to 17 for a thousand dollars. Like, I mean, obviously there's all the travel and other expenses, but like just the fact that it's that inexpensive for the, the tickets for the weekend is pretty, pretty nice. And I'm curious, like ultimately where, where does that difference in ticket price come from? Right, like how much of that is inflated by just like intangibles? I think part of it is that F1 has just become so popular recently um, for for a number of different reasons that now we are seeing that kind of come back where, I mean, I think it was the Bellagio bought like $10 million worth of tickets for the Las Vegas F1 race this year to sell as packages with like rooms and stuff on that weekend, like for ridiculous amounts of money and everything. Right. And so there's like all these other things talking about the Miami Grand Prix last year, like 
I I was had us on the pre-sale list. As soon as they announced the Miami Grand Prix, I put us on the pre-sale list. Pre-sales like days away and I get an email. Oh, sorry. All the pre-sale tickets are gone before the pre-sale even happened because they'd given them all out to celebrities or sold them off to like whatever else before it even got to the pre-sale. It's like, right. that's just crazy. Like there's no, I like I had no shot of even being like trying to get a ticket at face value kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Um, how does a normal person like get to that event? Yeah. It's like, um, it's like talking about the super bowl and stuff like that. Like the super bowl, it, people are like, Oh, well, if your team goes that just for like a person to go to the super bowl is probably going to cost like five grand for a single right. person. So it's like, I think the the celebrity and the the like I don't know the show of it all has like really increased those ticket prices a lot where IndyCar mm. is just still um it's not as highly recognized it's not international um in terms of sure. like race locations at least um but I just thought it was pretty wild how like drastic that difference is yeah, that's like time. massive. Mm-hmm. Holy shit! Yeah. Well, you know, we're uh, we're really gonna have to get that Oling fans fucking ripping. There we go, feet finder. There's, yeah, get there it out go. there. Get these uh, dogs on the web. Um, but to uh, talk about things costing way too much money, um, the there was an F1 simulator that was built into a Red Bull RB18 show car um, that is, I guess, being sold. So it looks like, and I'll, here, I'll send you this tweet real quick, but it looks like the front of an actual F1 Red Bull car, and it's set up with monitors uh, and everything to be a racing simulator. Um for the small price of 99,999 euros for the champions edition. But if you want just the race edition, uh, you can get that for 75,000 euros. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, 75 it's... grand. I'd be curious what a like similar, um, a similar rig would cost. I, Probably I would like imagine two or three grand. I would imagine for like a solid simulator. Okay. No, but I'm saying like, I'm saying industry comparable. So that's like, Oh, I don't know if this is like for, I think for at home sim racing, not necessarily like driver practice. Yeah, I know. So what I'm saying is if you Google like, you know, I racing simulator. I imagine you may be able to find some numbers that are pretty close to the regular edition of this, where people are spending like pretty decent money, especially on something that has the like, you know, okay. like the motion control and all of that big monitor. Fucking- I found one with a ready to assemble kit with a purpose built PC. Um, gear shifter racing chair that adjusts and all and it's uh 78 7800 so 
It seems pretty legit. So yeah, I mean, it's like, it's not ridiculously outrageous, but I mean, 75,000 euros is still kind of crazy. Obviously a collector's item. Obviously you don't have to go that hard. Obviously you like it is sick pro- though. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, am I like <laughs> am I arguing because I'm necessarily impressed by it? No. I just think like if you were going to spend $75,000 on a racing sim, I'd like I'd probably look elsewhere. You yeah, could probably get something insane, but oh, there's probably just something like an F1 car. <laughs> I mean, but maybe that is like the most insane one you could get where it's like, I mean, yeah, yeah. But I feel like yeah. I'm, I'm I not only do I feel like I'm sitting in an F1 car, I literally am sitting in an F1 car. Half yeah. of it, mind you. I don't know. I'm torn. That's a lot of money, but it's it's sick as fuck. I think the you know, I just think sim racing is interesting in and of itself. And just, I guess, ultimately, the number doesn't surprise me, and I don't care that it doesn't. Yeah, I I mean, it's uh, all Formula One memorabilia, I feel like, is crazy expensive. So for it to be like a Red Bull car turned into a simulator, I'm sure there's plenty of people who are out there who like would want that as like a show off thing in their house along with utilizing it as a simulator. So, well, exactly. So I was, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. while you were saying that I was literally picturing, I was about to go on a tangent of like buying a like memorabilia formula one helmet and just, just wearing it around the house. <laughs> like you wake up in the morning, just put the helmet on and you just like, you just sleep in, in the arms. <laughs> Yeah, you just like wear it around the house. Like, can you imagine just like a shirtless dude in like boxers with a with a Formula One helmet on, just like motoring his way into the kitchen, motoring his way down the stairs. That would be. I can picture it uh, pretty pretty well, and it is definitely funny. I was wondering what you're uh, you're snickering at over there. Yeah, somebody like the idea of somebody wearing like a Daniel Ricardo helmet to like do their taxes or like hop in the shower. That'd be hilarious. That would, I feel like that would be a great, that's like um, an old school ESPN commercial where they're like in the office, it's like the driver's like in the locker room, like showering or whatever with just with the helmet still on and everything. Yeah. I picture it, but we could be on the writer's room for the ESPN commercials circa 2003. Yeah, exactly. They don't make good ones anymore. So, uh, <laughs> but getting over to some F1 news um, uh, and all just more generally moving towards the race weekend. One uh, just sad note, unfortunately, but the FIA president, um, Ben Salayam's son, uh, passed away in a road accident. So, um, uh, just really sad to, to hear and everything. So, um, uh, uh, best wishes to to him and his family and all as they're going through a, a pretty tough time. I don't know if that is going to affect him being um, around for a little bit. I would imagine that something like that would probably um, make you shift gears temporarily, at least to to figure things out because it was only about a week ago uh, when that happened. Um, 
but yeah, just a, a, a sad thing um, to have happened and all. And I, I just wish the best for him and his family while they're, they're dealing with that. Yeah. That's a, that's a really tough spot. Hopefully, uh, hopefully he's able to bounce back and he has a nice supporting team within, you know, any of the orgs that he's involved in that can, you know, help out where necessary. And um, yeah, yeah. You know, just let him go out to the family. Yeah. And let him, take some time if he if he needs and everything so um but looking uh at some other news that has come out recently uh recent reports sound like london may be one of the next big spots for a um uh, a new circuit going through the streets of london so i guess similar to what they're looking to do at las vegas but another big city proposing an opportunity for um for a race weekend there and it sounds like they are some officials in london uh made it seem like it they are interested in doing what would be needed to meet the requirements that formula one has for a track so uh i think that would be like i think it would be cool but I'm sure it's similar ideas like when people from Europe or other countries are like, oh, a race in Las Vegas, where I'm like, a race in Las Vegas, like, eh, it'll be all right. But um, I don't know. Vegas isn't as uh, as interesting, I feel like, because in America you hear about Las Vegas and see ads and stuff like that from the time you're a kid all the way up through. So it's like... I think seeing streets of other countries where I haven't been is uh, more interesting to me personally, but I could imagine it's, it's the other way around for, for folks from abroad. Well, so, okay. So foreign city aside, how interested are you in another street circuit? Like my initial Um, reaction to that is like, The only thing that kind of appeals about it to me is it does look like it would be pretty fast, surprisingly. It's uh so the the way that I it's pictured in this is it's a very long like track like Jetta. So multiple long straights with a couple little chicanes and things thrown in. Um, a mm-hmm. couple little tur like more hairpin type or tight turns at either end. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily the best racing, but I think it would be cool to, to see, uh, at the same time. Like, I, I don't know if it's, I don't know. I don't know if my, like, intrigue in a city that i haven't been to or haven't really seen outweighs the want for a good race and to be like i'll just go see london when i travel there sometime um but i don't know it's just uh it's interesting because there's so many locations that are like vying for a, a finite amount of of race weekends each year and it seems like the list is just growing um very quickly well, yeah, especially as, you know, countries are seeing the, um, I would imagine, the pretty large growth of the sport just 
just period um so yeah everybody wanting to get a piece although i'd be more interested just as a fan in another spa that's what i would want a large sprawling longer race that is more interesting than um a wall on either side race through the streets of a you know of a regal city i truly just feel like there's too many of those yeah um, i mean yeah we've uh, just baku and monaco are like uh, that's kind of enough for me on the calendar well and then, they, and then they just added jetta and then they just added miami which both of them are street circuits yeah, Miami's not as bad because it is around like the stadium complex down there, but Las Vegas sure. would be a very street circuit type track as well. Yeah, it, it, it's like adding up very quickly. Right. And that's like that's kind of what I'm thinking. I, you know, give me give me like I don't want to sound like a like a what I don't even know what you would call me, but like give me the Nordschleife 2.0, like give me something in the hills of like a you know, of like a uh, Austria or something, you know? Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, I and I would love that too. I think it would just be really, it's a lot easier for a city to say, let's make this an F1 circuit for a weekend than it is sure. for a country to say, let's build a random racetrack out in this beautiful area that will only be used a couple times a year. And we have to maintain the entire rest of the time to keep it in good condition for this one race a year. Uh, unfortunately it's like, it's, uh, it's a bit one race a year. Well, I, I know there's series. That yeah. Can use these tracks. There you are know, it's primarily just... like the WEC GT three. Like yeah. they can all use those tracks. I just easily. think it's, it's tough to, um, I think it would be tough to convince someone to invest in doing something like that when there are so many circuits out there in the world already and it's like, already what, like paved roads on it's the like ground. it's like what it what you would have to do something unique or different kind of to like draw the potential to to host a lot of events there and everything so it'd have to be a, like a very good track layout i mean it's possible um I think it's more likely that we would see something like that happen in a country that doesn't really have um, as much like infrastructure for racing. I know there's been a number of drivers who have said a race uh, max and Lewis, I think both have talked about racing in Africa would be very cool. They've already uh, got, they've already got uh, circuits that they race at in, I mean, they go to Australia, they go to Asia, they go to Europe, they're in, south america they're in north america africa is the only continent that they don't uh really hit other than antarctica with racing so strap those um, snow tires on yeah so i mean i think that uh there's potential for something like that but it would have to be in a country that really doesn't right. um like have something like that like i couldn't imagine um i don't know I mean, France, just, like throwing one out in wine country and just being like, 
yes, here we're building this this racetrack. But I think there's potential for that in in plenty of areas still, like around the world. Well, I mean, I'm just talking about like you know Miracle Racing Land or whatever. But in in a in a world where if if they're gonna keep going with like the well, these roads are already here. These cities and countries want them. They can, you know, get a bunch of revenue. We go to that and where we started in the conversation is like spectacle versus like a good race. Yeah. And you just get a bunch of spectacles that are just like, eh, whatever. Like, let's just wait for like Monza next week where, you know, blah, 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 blah. We just yeah. start waiting for like the classic races anyway. Um, so yeah. I'm unsure. I think there's a... I, there's obviously going to be a Goldilocks zone. And my recommendation was just, you know, Miracle Christmas Land. Yeah. Well, I mean, Miracle Christmas Land could be out there. Um, <laughs> you're a true believer. Yes. Um, and then uh, just looking back into uh, some history a little bit. Eight years ago today, Justin, was Max Verstappen's Formula One debut uh, at the Australian Grand Prix in tw- uh, 2015, so you would know that, dude. Honestly, uh, you popped would know up, that. popped up on Twitter a couple of times. Formula I'm One tweeted it out. So. Yeah, big fan. Uh, <laughs> so eight years, two world championships, 36 wins, 78 podiums. Again, all stats that I got from the Formula One tweet. <laughs> as opposed to uh researching but yeah very very good uh very good results in his career um and then carlos signs of course as well uh was racing at, alongside max at toro rosso so he mm-hmm. made his debut eight years ago as well um Wait, so today well, is their birthday is that what you're saying today like is their birthday racing anniversary i guess okay yeah. gotcha so uh so pretty cool um and carlos signs has has a win now um to to throw up there as well so uh (laughs) but moving on to just some other quick hitters it sounds like there is conversation between red bull and mclaren about potentially having red bull be the engine supplier for mclaren down the line who knows? That's years away, um, but it's something that uh, kind of has been started to be discussed. Um, mm-hmm. But getting into the the nittier, grittier of this past week, there has been a lot of shakeups and things between Ferrari and Mercedes. And so, mm-hmm. uh, with Ferrari, we had uh, David Sanchez, who is the head of their vehicle concept, who resigned after more than 10 years of working with Ferrari at Marinello. Um, so he had led the design and development of the F175 and the SF23, which is their current car. Um, Fucking hang him. So well, I mean, so that that just start. That's the tip of the iceberg. So, right, gotcha. Uh, so David Sanchez, uh, who's leaving, is also rumored that he will be uh, looking to join McLaren later on this Whoa. season. So, um, I guess there is a required. They call it gardening leave. Um, I'm not sure, but there's like a required period of time. It sounds like between how long you can. Uh, you have to wait in between working for different 
teams so that you can't just be like, oh, I work for Red Bull today. Ha, Mercedes paid me a lot. I'm going there tomorrow. And all of these ideas that I know you're working on and everything kind of thing. Right. So, uh, so it looks like that is going to happen, but there is a lot of unease at Ferrari at the moment, um, because of him resigning, there's also been a number of other higher up Ferrari folks who have apparently been testing their resumes around the grid, sending, uh, sending things around. Um, and it sounds like things are not going super well um sure their head of chassis uh there's conversation that he may leave um there are uh just a number of of high up engineers with the organization um that are leaving and uh, a number of folks that were appointed and brought in by Mattia Bonotto that are probably going to be either moved out or leaving as well. So I'm I'm just kind of, it's interesting, but I'm, I'm surprised at the fact that it's happening now. Like these are things that I would expect at the end of an F1 season. Like season's over. Okay. Teams are gearing up for, the next season at all. All right. We're going to head out, mm-hmm. fit, take our time, figure out the next step in our careers and all best of luck in the next season. You go do your thing. Um, as opposed to, all right, we finished the first race while well, one of our cars finished the first race and didn't go as well as expected. And now everyone is leaving and just, leaving the the locking the door on the way out kind of thing. I don't know. Well, based on what we heard from the from Fred Vasser, the new Ferrari team principal, he was very confident in the package that they had going into the start of the season, so the 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 first race. And I mean, like my man said it with a smile on his face. He was half mm-hmm. like chuckling. Um, so my guess is something, I remember Toto Wolf talking about not only, not only do you have to figure out, like, not only do you have to worry about data gathering, but you have to worry about are the tools that you are using to gather that data sound and based on like good science so that you know the foundation is solid so then you can move on up. I'm curious if there's a feeling of like, okay, so we thought we were good. Our our data was telling us that we were good, but clearly we fucking weren't. So maybe they're like, you know, digging, digging even deeper into the, you know, foundation of that solution that they had and saying like, no, no, all this stuff's got to go. We got to kind of rebuild from the ground up. We got to get new personnel in here to maybe look at what they have and say, 
oh no, this is wrong. This is wrong. We got to do this mm. differently. I mean, I don't know how it works. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, I'm a toaster myself, so I have no clue, but like, it just, it, it makes me feel like a move out of like being bonked in the head with still the same problems and, and another full season ahead of them. They weren't just, they're not going to be able to like scrape a whole season together, you know? Yeah. Um, it's just off the back foot. No, I, I think, I think that like makes sense a bit, but I just, I, I'm just surprised that this is when, but yeah, I guess that makes sense. If they, they thought they had it, they saw at the first race that they didn't. And now it's like, well, we don't think we have any shot at what we're looking to do. So yeah, let's, let's burn it to the ground and rebuild kind of thing. Um, I, I mean, that makes sense. It's just, it, I guess, co- when you compare it to other sports, it's a weird time. But sure. most other sports are not developing a piece of machinery during the offseason that they need to like be successful as opposed to like just athletes working out in the off seasons and like getting themselves in shape and like doing that kind of thing. So um so yeah that that definitely makes sense. It's just uh pretty drastic changes um but one one other thing that uh that came out during all of this uh was that Fred Vassar has apparently um come out and decided that Ferrari is going to um prior with all these folks leaving and everything they're going to start prioritizing Charles with uh, the car and strategy, so development of how the car drives, strategies, giving him the best strategies and whatnot, um, optimal pit windows, things like that. So uh, a lot of saw a lot of happy Ferrari fans going. This is what we've been saying all along. Give him everything, and then I'm just like, oh, poor Carlos. <laughs> Like that's yeah, that's tough. But yeah, Red Bull does it too. I mean, Red Bull, the way the everything that I've read, including um an article and and uh like interview with Alex Albon basically said that the way that the Red Bull car is developed is it's not that they developed it a certain way to suit Max's style, it's that the way they developed it, Max really likes that kind of car. And so it just is like a match made in heaven for right. him as opposed to, yeah. yeah, as opposed to them like necessarily forcing it in one direction. But yeah, and I imagine that happens in most scenarios and or there's like, eh. I don't know. Yeah, it, uh, totally. it's yeah. Uh, we'll we'll see how it works out. Um, I just think I feel kind of bad for Carlos because I think he's been pretty competitive in a lot of opportunities against uh, Leclerc, but Leclerc has kind of beat him out, obviously more than than he's lost. So 
Um, we'll see how it goes. Uh, the season could get very uh, wonky with all these changes and everything. Um, but another team needing to make some drastic changes, the Mercedes squad uh, have basically determined, uh, like we had talked about last week, that they needed to go with a different strategy for their car. Um, but looking at it now, um, sounds like their technical technical director is kind of on the chopping block on the hot seat a little bit about making changes. They had some um, pretty substantial meetings looking to create a side pod design. They have some parts that are going to be coming as upgrades ahead of this weekend, but they were pre-planned there. So they're not necessarily um, an entire new body work for the car that's going to be thrown out there this week, but they'll have some, some small upgrades that they had planned for this weekend uh, that are coming in. So uh, Mercedes just really having to shift their development big time. And it sounds like they are going to, push it in the direction that the other teams have, have gone with, with having side pods on the car. Yeah. And to be fair, I'd be very impressed if they're able to put that together, like knowing what we know about the, the cost cap, the cost cap infringements, the penalties, the ruthlessness at which the other teams like hunt those mistakes down. Um, It's actually going to be pretty impressive if, you know, Mercedes is able to pull that off, change the concept mid, um, uh, mid season. Fuck. That's where my brain got lost. That's what I was trying to find again. The, the, uh, uh, shaking it up with Ferrari is we've seen teams do it a bunch throughout the history of F1, not necessarily with like their, whatever they got going on with their engine, but we've seen them just fucking oust drivers and get somebody new in and say, Hey, that wasn't work. And it's like, like the eighth race of the season. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, that's the, a wild change to make too. It so is. The midseason break is, the midseason breaks a little more set up as like a time that makes sense. It's kind of like, uh, to me, it, slightly reminds me of like league of legends teams shifting their lineups after msi like you play the the spring split msi happens and if you weren't happy in the spring split with your roster you try and make some quick changes for the summer split and hope that that you can pull it together for worlds um i just thought it was it's a lot after just like one race and this early in the season i thought it was a little nutty but Looking at um, the Mercedes team and everything, they, uh, Toto had kind of said, he came out and said basically, like, we, with the cost cap and all, like you were mentioning, he's like, we don't have the ability to just build two cars at the same time. Like, we're going to have to pick a direction and, and really commit to it. Um, which sounds. I think George like- gets the side pods first. Based on what they did last year, I bet he does. And say um, get us points now and have Lewis. It depends, I think. I think it would depend on... I I feel like they, they would... already chalked the season. I feel like they would do it at the same time. 
Wait, how could they do that? You just said they can't build two cars at once. No, they, no, no, no. Sorry, sorry. No, they they can only they can't build like two concepts at the same time, like a side pod list and a side pod car. Like they can't continue to go the way that the car is designed right now and just try and like make the floor better and the downforce and figure things out and then also build a car with side pods and see which one is like gonna shake out on top like yeah like okay. with yeah. uh so i think it was it. yeah like they they could like keep driving these cars and bringing upgrades and everything and like keep trying to improve upon them and also start a new design where they are building it on the side kind of with side pods and get it up there but with the cost cap budget and everything it would it would eat away at their their budget way too much to try and continue to develop this car and develop a whole new concept as well at the same time yeah i understand so yeah so that i mean bringing the upgrades it's possible that they could bring the same upgrades to both cars at the same race typically teams don't do that because they want to see what how it works on one car um as opposed to fully committing and see if it like actually makes sense but i think that was my argument yeah you are allowed to have one side pod car, one side pod list right. is within the rules, even yeah. though it's not financially recommended. Right. That's, that's, that's more that's where it's like at. they had to either choose, they had to choose one path, either commit to this design they have 100%. or yeah, start to, to plan on the side. But um, I would imagine if they're going with a side pod design now, that they would try to throw them on both cars at the same time. Uh, and just like, just like commit back, maybe like two rate, say like we can get them on both cars. If we do it two races from now, instead of this race. Okay. We'll do it two races from now. Yeah. Like take okay. that, take a three week gap between races or something like that to put some, some new stuff on both cars and everything. But, um, but yeah, it's uh it's definitely going to be it's going to be interesting to see because with Ferrari and Mercedes both seemingly looking to kind of take the L after one race this season. Um I mean that really only leaves Aston Martin as a potential constructor fight for the Red Bull team at this point at the top. Um so it'll be it'll be interesting interesting to see how that shakes out or if this will cause Ferrari or Mercedes to fall out of uh that potential second place fight and be vying for third um but either way it's going to be uh just interesting and and hopefully <laughs> the intrigue and in what else is going on there um in those two teams will keep the season interesting because it would also be kind of a bummer if i would get bored if red bull won every single race i wouldn't be unhappy but i would be a little bit bored if red bull just won every race the rest of the season 
Yeah, I think that would, I mean, obviously it would just be a very uncompetitive season. And then you wonder like, all right, well, is 2024 the year it like, you know, everybody's really cooking. Yeah, um, because you and I had talked so much during the off season about how we were like pumped about a three-way title fight. Look what right. can happen. Look at these teams right. there. Mercedes got it together at the end of last year. Ferrari's fixing their reliability issues and we get to race one and neither of those things happened. Yeah. Like a massive, you know, massive slump from where we, where we thought it was going. Um, so yeah, just some, some surprising things in, in that way. But I think the storyline will be interesting to follow like their development and how much they can improve their situation and how, and how we'll see, what they say and the direness of their words versus what it actually looks like on track. Cause yeah. it's like a really funny thing. If you hear a team like we fucking suck, we got to get it together. Like we have no clue. And they're just like pulling like P threes and fours and like getting an occasional podium and a win. It's like, okay, you're just pulling our leg. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. You're sandbagging in the media, throwing people off the scent. Um, but I mean, I, and obviously, like later in the season, Red Bull will start to be more affected, like we've talked about as well, by the cost cap and wind tunnel reduction times, because um, they they have a solid car from last year that they're building upon at the moment. It's really those that continuation of upgrades and all. So maybe towards the end of the season, we might, we maybe will see a fall off from Mercedes and Ferrari and see them kind of start to bounce back towards the end mm-hmm. of the season. But, um, that still leaves for a, uh, potentially pretty uncompetitive season, unfortunately. Um, but it's, uh, looking over at the kind of title title favorites of Red Bull. Um, there's been some different conversations about Checo, his contract, things like that. It sounds like it's pretty safe and sound, at least through 2024. Um, but Helmut Marco had come out and said that Checo has met expectations, so there's no reason to really question his seat at the moment. Um, right. And then he said he survived two seasons alongside Max and very well. He finished third in the Drivers' Championship last year with two victories. Um, but the fact that he said he survived two seasons alongside Max, I was like, man, that is, I mean, it's a, it's a huge compliment to Max, but like that has to like Checo's mental has to be so good being in that spot. Cause I would, I would imagine that a most professor professional racing drivers are going to be like like to hear oh yeah he he he's good he survived like that's not what these drivers are looking for and so that that is their result that helmet marco is seeing in awe of like oh yeah like he he didn't get crushed under the weight of the pressure um, I mean, that speaks highly to Checo, but it's um, also like just uh, a pretty wild thought 
that they're like, yeah, but it's also honest in the history. Like it is know, Asley and Albon like straight up didn't show up and it puts, so think of that from the org standpoint, like, they they were promised they were promised a lion but got a lamb right so well, then they've got a they've got a shift so it's it's a I, I I think it's just being honest with some of the others and a Danny Ricardo as well um so that's three drivers back to well, back to back that all got the boot very quickly Ricardo though like he he didn't. I mean, he left like partially due to the competition and having a really competitive driver. But I wouldn't say that's necessary. He didn't get like crushed under the weight of Max's like greatness or anything. Yes, he did. Um, I I don't know, but I think like with Gasly and Albon, the problem there is like okay you're comparing apples to oranges to some extent. You're taking two young drivers who have only driven for like maybe two, three years in F1 at that point. Mm -hmm. And you're throwing them in with someone who has driven for four or five years in F1, who is, uh, one of the most talented individuals in formula one at the moment. And you're throwing these like young guys up there and going, yes, compete. Like it's different when with Checo who has been in F1 for, I don't know, 10 or 11 years now. He's been around longer Mm -hmm. than Max has. Mm -hmm. He's been alongside a lot of teammates. He's been on a lot of different teams. Um, So he has had, more experience and more just of a veteran aura about him that I think withstands the young, super talented guy better than being like, Oh, I'm also a young guy and you're throwing me against this guy who is just like ridiculous. It's like Mm -hmm. the, I think it's tough to, to compare the way Red Bull did it with Gasly and Albon to Checo just because of Checo's pure experience um, prior. And he had never raced for, I, I don't think Checo had ever raced for a Red Bull team. I don't, he was never on Toro Rosso uh, prior to coming to Red Bull. He raced for Force India for Racing Point. Um, Sure, I I don't disagree that the circumstances were different, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't disagree with you. I just think the word survive isn't like that harsh. I mean, you okay. you did have a bunch of drivers in recent history that for whatever reason did not last and just a common denominator was Max as a teammate. Sure, yeah. I would I would I would very, very much agree with you that that Sergio has okay. a yeah. lot of upside in that like driver just, battle. Yeah, I, I just thought like it survive was is, okay. Yeah. I I think I I was taking it as a, a harsher kind of uh, thing than it is maybe, but uh, no, and and knowing a Christian Horner, he may like that. Even sounds like a a term of an endearment more than more than a a dig i think he likes to be maybe a little hyperbolic at times and like like be a little uh 
uh, you know, shoulder nudgy. And that sounds a little <laughs> shoulder nudgy to me. Yeah. Me and Christian Horner are best friends, obviously, so I can interpret his tone. Yeah. Well, it was Helmet Marco who said it. So it's, uh, wow, even better. <laughs> I mean, I, that guy's in my speed dial. What are you talking about? There you go. But, uh, but looking forward to the race this week, we've, uh, want to do a little bit of a rundown with expectations. I think Ferrari, even though we're talking about them possibly falling off, I think they have a good shot. There, of course, is a lot of, um, positive energy behind the fact that they have very good straight line speed. Um, so they think that Jetta might be a good circuit for their car at the moment. Um, for our, or Mercedes is going to be bringing a few new parts to Jetta. So those will be coming along. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it's still going to be um, hard for, to see Red Bull not uh, coming out on top, especially since Leclerc will be taking a 10-place grid penalty after one race to replace his uh, electrical... Um, I, I don't know, his, his CE, whatever that is, uh, the electrical systems for the car. So... Yeah, 10-place grid penalty, so Ferrari is going to be starting off on the back foot a little bit um, already. If that continues to be an issue, like you had said last week, that's going to be a pretty consistent uh, grid penalty if it if it crops up again. Because um, like you said, they only have a limited amount of the very limited amount compared to... Uh, second one that right. they have out of two. So. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be pretty tough. Uh, but yeah, I think it'll be interesting to get a sense of the straight line speed for a lot of the um, for a lot of the teams, because like you said, street circuit, bunch of bunch of long straights. And um, I think it'll be a good way uh, to see if there are uh what am i getting at determine like track specific strengths for any cars where you see yeah. like uh oh like an aston martin did really well on this weekend again like you know i guess i guess a track like this suits their car and their team currently i think is uh what we'll be able to find here this weekend yeah i think um and maybe we'll see it from some of the other teams on the grid uh that are started out a little lower down the alpine um of course last year we were always talking about it being a rocket ship in a straight line um so this track uh could potentially if they're they're still running a pretty similar design and everything could be a good fit for their car so we could see them bounce back a little bit this week the williams last year had uh was and I think in preseason preseason testing was topping out at some of the higher and highest speeds in the speed traps. So um, could be could be some interesting shifts of positions between race one and two. Um, but another, I think, good thing because I went back and rewatched the last year's race here at Jeddah. It was actually it was a banger. Um, that was the um max and charles looking to uh kind of almost break check each other to the drs line and all to to get the drs down the main straight and so um a 
very positive change that I think they're making to the circuit is for the uh, DRS detection zone for the third DRS zone down the start finish straight. They changed it from being in that braking zone to being at the start of that long straight. So we won't be seeing these cars like brake check each other to try and get DRS uh, going into that long straight. It'll just be driving hard and whoever is, is there coming out of the straight will get the DRS. So um, I think it's a smart decision because I mean, just having those kinds of things happen just adds a little bit more danger to the way drivers are like drivers are going to drive slightly more erratically or un- unexpectedly to try and catch their their rival off guard a little bit. So yeah. I think it's a, a smart decision for the circuit. Yeah, it seems like a logical change. While novel and interesting, like the first time first time you see it, like you were saying, uh, it just probably causes uh, some more dangerous possibilities. So yeah. Yeah, so it's um should be, I mean, I'm excited for the race this weekend. I know I probably sound like a little bit of a downer because I just wanted more competition, but we still could have some. Uh, it could could surprise us nonetheless, but... Um, well, and that and that's what I was getting to with the like, you know, are they kind of sandbagging thing where it's like, let's give it a couple races and see, you know, what we actually end up with. Because like these guys, these guys are talking about nose hairs, you know, but they still have to say, yeah. use the same words that we do. Um, so let me let me see a Ferrari engine on fire and then I'll and then I'll. Oh, Justin, in, I uh, hope you didn't just uh, just cast your curse this weekend. If either of their engines light on fire, I don't know. You're, I'm gonna start coming to you for my fortune tellings. I would, yeah, I was just about to say, open your palm and give me your money, sir, and I'll tell you your fortunes. <laughs> there we go. So, yeah. but yeah, looking forward to it. I'm hoping for uh, a fun, competitive race, and I think it'll be. Uh, is a pretty, pretty solid circuit. I think it's. Um, it's got a lot of fast, straight, uh, and long areas, so I think it it should be a pretty solid race. Last year, I think it was one of the best races of the season. So, yeah, last year was more exciting than the first. Um, the first just was, I think, I think I would say unsettling um, with the track layout so the changes that they made from the first year to the second year now the second year to the third year i would agree i think we're going to be in for a pretty good race this weekend where previously i know if you go back and watch our uh episode from 2021 we were i think pretty low on jetta overall um but now looking in looking ahead to it um yeah you're right i think after the 2022 race we can expect a pretty good one here yeah, so looking forward to a, a banger, um, but we can, uh, I guess, start shifting over into some esports here uh, towards the end of the pod. But did you want to go ahead and hit on the Call of Duty Major before we get into League of Legends or after? I I would like to spend a little more time on the the Call of Duty Major. I have a I have a 
kind of some points like that I kind of want to run by you and talk about. So let's yeah, hit let's... the LPL and the LCK series, and then uh, and then we'll talk about the Optic Major three. Cool. So uh, just to hop over into the LPL in China, uh, we looked at two top of the table teams. We had LNG versus JDG, um, both at the time coming into this, I believe were. I think they were both nine and two or 10 and two at the time. Uh, yeah. So coming into to this week, very big matchup, second and third place in the standings. Um, but just to, to lead right off, I, I mean, I was, I was pumped with LNG's game one draft, the Draven and the Jacks just out the gate are, uh, two two really aggressive picks uh, to go for, and so obviously with that you have to to get a pretty decent early lead because they don't always uh, if if they get put down too hard early they don't scale too well into the to the late game. Um, so you you have to put a lot of emphasis on that early game there, uh, which they were they were able to do pretty pretty successfully yeah and especially with the especially with the support nautilus there in the bottom lane like that just says um fight sneak excuse me Jeez, oh, man um and especially with the leeson in the jungle as well like that just screams level three uh level three turret dive trying trying to at least get the kill on the nami burn a couple summoners off the lucian as well um that's just such an aggressive setup but yeah like like you were saying is going to uh have some trouble in those extended fights but in the skirmishes like is really gonna excel and we see lp the uh the bottom laner for lng play that draven pretty pretty well getting getting one early cash in and then able to able to follow it up with a couple more key ones and that um, cash in was like 500 or i think he he got like 500 some gold so it was like 210 bonus gold from his uh his adoration stack Mm -hmm. so and that just catapults him ahead of the uh of the lucian there yeah big time and by the end of the game i mean he was he was four and a half thousand gold up on his uh his counterpart there um which is just massive when you're you're even comparing some of the other lanes um but zika as well just on the jacks he became a a whole nother beast on his own pretty quickly in the game um they were able to to get some good pressure on 369 in the top lane um and Kanavi, and, and this is, I feel like, something that we just continue to see with the Vi as well, which I, I think I, I'm going to start expecting teams when they're playing into the Vi to start going with some of these more aggressive picks as well there, um, because I feel like what we continue to see is that if the Vi doesn't get ahead in that early game, it has very little comeback potential. Like mm-hmm. a Lee Sin or a Gragas, a Sejuani, like some of these other junglers have a bit more ability to focus in on a certain 
aspect of the champion where being a bruiser jungler, like Lee Sin can be pretty hard from behind too, but being a bruiser mm-hmm. jungler like Vi with a lot less mobility than a Lee Sin kind of, um, I, I mean, your whole thing is I'm throwing myself in at their carry into the back line. And if you're just getting immediately blown up because you're too squishy or you don't have enough damage or whatever, mm-hmm. you're you're just kind of shot. You don't have the flexibility of utilizing a Lee Sin kick to put someone in a good uh, good spot for the rest of your team to kill off or a, a safeguard to dash away to a ward. Um, so I think the the ability for the Vi to come back from being behind is pretty rough like we i mean when it gets ahead or stays even it's fine but i wouldn't be surprised to see teams start going for more aggressive kind of counters to that um as we see that continue to be played uh especially over in the lpl and lck yeah and i mean i think that's a great point um we see kanavi the vi player in the first game go to do the best that they could in the um, scenario that they had. So I think I think Scout did a really good job on the LNG side to <laughs> move top lane and help Zika get ahead over three six nine, where yep. um, nice solid roam top lane gets him gets him the kill and the advantage. You know, JD Gaming recognizes this. Kanavi looks to move bottom lane, make a couple of plays, most of which get get turned around by LNG. But I think Kanavi was looking in the right spots for kind of the counterplay there. Um, but you're right, doesn't have the advantages of like just being able to sit in that team fight. And I mean, how important is it to like you know just eat the hook, take the CC, take a couple yeah. of Ezreal cues, like just the tank being able to sit there just in the middle of the fight, like that health bar actually matter. Like you were saying, like the Vi just ends up being a bit too squishy. Ultimately the health bar does really matter when they are bringing like effectively the same level of crowd control. Um, it's maybe just a question of mobility, you know, Vi can get a little bit deeper, um, mm. you know, through the, uh, through movement abilities, you know, where she stays locked on with her assault and battery. Um, so yeah, you make, you make these interesting trade-offs, but, um, but you're right. I think it makes it tough for JD gaming in this, in this game one spot to play from behind. Yeah. And I, I was also just, I really liked LNG's draft. They, they picked the aggressive picks for LP and Zika, but they also had the more supportive picks. The Nautilus is a great, uh, pairing to go along with the Draven, um, but also the Lissandra in the mid lane is is huge. We saw a number of different uh, opportunities that Scout was able to get in the back line, hit like four man um, snares with uh, oh, yeah. with the W that was, there. That was sweet. Um, be able and just the sustain that you have between like the snare, then you have the Lissandra ultimate, then you have the stopwatch or the Zonia's hourglass. And you're just able to like sit in the middle of the team fight where no one can do damage to you and just wait for your spell rotation to basically come back up while the rest of your team is capitalizing on whatever you're able to do. So it's pretty, Mm -hmm. pretty uh, solid draft from them in game one. 
uh, which does end up netting them a, a pretty big win. Game two, um, again, and so uh, just looking at, at some of the players, LP impressed me throughout this series. Um, he had a, a nice game in the bot lane on the Aphelios, um, but Ruler really took over this game as uh, as we got deeper in. A pretty tight tight matchup overall. Um, very back and forth with the Dragons. No one ended up getting Dragon Soul. Um, the Baron and just gold and everything was was tight throughout this matchup. Um, I and some pretty different draft picks in this game compared to game one as well. So mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I liked uh I like Kanavi taking taking the lease in. Um before the before the game I was looking up the uh LCK Cinder stats. Um but that one is standing out as kind of interesting to me. I'm curious, like it is in this meta of like, you know, Ari bands and LeBlanc bands and stuff, and that's where we've seen it like before as well. We've also seen Cinder crop up in like an Oriana meta as well. Um, but it does not seem like the strongest of the mid lane picks. Obviously, JD Gaming gets a gets a dub here, and this is in China. Um, but it's just a uh, uh, champion. I'm just gonna keep keep an eye on. I think. Yeah, she. So at the moment in China, I know we're looking at the stats for for Korea, but uh, the Syndra is a, an even twenty nine and twenty nine. 50% win rate in the LPL at the moment. Okay, fair enough. So Chinese players using it a little bit better than the uh, Korean players. A little gotcha, more gotcha. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Um, but yeah, Knight able to, uh, you know, pretty good scoreline, 4-5-9, getting, getting in the faces of LNG, as it were, set, setting up some of those stuns and uh, key plays for, like you were saying, Ruler Ruler kind of kind of popped off in this game. Yeah, and moving on to the third game. So this one I, I did expect. I I kind of expected LNG to end up pulling this out just because I I think that LNG's top side of the map is a bit more talent. Like not not extremely, but I think they're uh jungle and top lane are both slightly better than uh with Tarzan and Zika than 369 and Kanavi. Um okay. I don't think it's a it's a drastic difference or anything, but I thought that with a relatively even matchup here, um that they would pull this out, especially without how well LP was playing throughout the series. But um Scout really in, in game two and in game three then struggled pretty hard in the mid lane versus Knight. He was just consistently unable to um, to really get damage down ahead of time, and that was in big part due to like some really good um, ultimates from missing on the Renata. Um, but between that, the Vi, the Ari, he he just consistently was having to stay outside of team fights not get opportunities to really do much until the very end at the Baron fight. He comes in where it's just him and Zika versus four lower health JD gaming members. He throws out the Sharima shuffle. He's trying his best and both of them just get, get squished uh, and just couldn't, 
it, it was seemed like it was a he got put behind and then for the rest of the game it was just a uh too little too late kind of when he was mm-hmm. showing up so um so yeah tougher tougher game three for lng but overall like a very competitive series with some some really solid uh solid games throughout well, and then to JD Gaming's credit, honestly, like maybe there there would have been a position in there for for LNG to um, mount a comeback, but I think they're I think they're like mid to late game play where they go from Dragon to Baron. They have they have Scout pushing in the top lane, and they're just able to just like full stack on that bottom. Like that whole sequence of plays was really clean, and I yeah. think if LNG found a window. I'm not saying it's like necessarily even possible or whatever, but if LNG was able to find a window there to like stem that Baron push, I think they would have been able to buy a little more time. But the the swiftness with which JD Gaming pulled off that little like just like little combo of neutrals, mm-hmm. it was it was a pretty decisive like all right, we're just gonna win the game now. Yeah. Um, and it and the way Scout like was teleporting back into his base, it's like uh, they they just their pants were down um so well played decisive uh movements in the in the late game by jd gaming there to to give them credit as well oh absolutely yeah i didn't uh didn't by any means uh think that lng just threw away the game but i just had uh i i really thought that they they might pull that series out Mm -hmm. but yeah yeah i agree Props to, to JD Gaming. They had uh, a really solid series. Ruler had a ridiculous game two and three, um, eight, two, and six on the Zeri, then six, oh, and six on the Aphelios. So some really solid uh, play from him. Missing looked very, very good, both on the Lulu and the Renata. The Renata ults were, I mean, huge game changers to be able to just push on to uh, the LNG squad without having to um or just u- utilizing that as kind of an engage opportunity uh worked out really well for for jdg um so a 2-1 victory for jdg uh they of course are still tied with uh lng in that lpl standings at the moment so uh still very tight over there in the lpl with edg up top JDG in second and then LNG in third. Um, but we also had a little bit of a LCK action between a couple of teams that we've, we've looked at a little bit with uh, the Damwon Kia plus. Is it Damwon Kia plus? I think they're saying, I think they're saying D plus Kia, but yeah, it's the, it's a Don Juan organization versus Fred at Breon um, over there in the LCK. And I I thought, yeah, I thought this matchup was fun. And I mean, it was a four and 11 versus like an 11 and three matchup. But what I thought was interesting about it was a, I wanted to follow up on the previous week, see how another top, see if, see if Breon was able to fare better against another top team. But also, they had spoiler opportunity on Damwon's like seeding. So now it is not like it is not fully in Damwon D plus Kia's control. Where if they would have been able to 2 0 Brian, it secured their number two spot. 
But because of the way the series went, Breon won game one, which is what they needed not to happen. So it 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 just messed with their playoff possibilities. And depending on what goes on, could lead to a worse seeding. They may they may have to you know go up against Gen G sooner than they want to, um, or something like this. So it was just an interesting matchup from that perspective. Um, one one play I do want to highlight from game three was Showmaker's wall. Uh, it was like it was like late game. They had like really yeah. already won. But to be fair, that wasn't a wall that I've ever seen before where he put it right on the structure that was on the map and it just cut off the lane totally. Like mm-hmm. they had to run along it down into the river. Like it seems like a very obvious wall when done, but that's the beauty of these players where they make something so simple. I mean, it it locked that game up with one ultimate. Yes, there were there were gold leads and whatever, but that was a really really exciting use of that Talia ultimate and made me and like brought back that old like there's showmaker let's go mm-hmm. uh so i think that was a very flashy way to end what must have been a frustrating series for for d plus kia because that should have been that should have been a 2-0 they should have been drinking smoothies in like literally 35 minutes well i mean yeah but i have to give big props to, to Breon because and this is like it's something that we had talked about earlier in the LCK season. I really, I mean, we can go back and check the tapes, but I remember talking very highly about, about Breon and saying that I felt like they were like right there, but just like were sort of outmatched in a couple of roles to the point that they, um, we're just getting beat by by these other teams, and they they have these like glimmers of greatness where Morgan and Umpti and and Karis in game one, just really the whole team was just clicking together. Karis was going and getting some like just backline dive kills on the Showmaker, on the Deft, uh, and everything with the Akali really utilizing the movement and all to get around there. Umpti was just hounding Canyon throughout that game, just beating him to the punch, being everywhere that he was. Um, and then Morgan as well. Morgan like looked really good on the Cassante. And so uh, as a whole, like those are, those are the games where I'm just like, this Breon team is like, playoff potential and then i look at the standings and i'm like and they're eighth out of 10 and they're four and 13 Mm. but (laughs) but they're picking up games off some of these top teams and it's uh it's impressive they have a lot of potential there it's just it they're not quite there well yeah and i and especially we were talking we we were talking before the show about the about the Syndra Kali matchup and like that's that's what this Brian needs to find is matchups like this where their where their carry players can get you know get advantages you know from from jump um and because yeah you're right the the akali looked really good for for karis there in the mid lane and makes Brian look like a team that really can punch up 
Yeah, like they, it's it's very impressive when they are clicking. They look really good. Um, but yeah, the um, going into to kind of game two and three, Umpty really started to struggle a lot. Um, I I feel like uh, the mid lane play, the assassins, Karis is definitely better on. I feel like. Being on the Akali, I think he played a bit of the Silas earlier in the season um, that he looked pretty good on. But he, going against Showmaker, uh, playing these kind of uh, more farmy mages, just Showmaker's just going to do it better. Um, and the Showmaker's LeBlanc in game two looked just incredible. I was He was nuking people out, and I'm like... I haven't seen that since LeBlanc first got reworked like <laughs> five years ago. I felt like um, he just was was putting them out of their misery pretty quickly with that LeBlanc. And then, like you said, on the, the Talia, the the ultimates um, and everything that he he was doing there was he, he looked really clean on that pick as well. Well, and I think from looking at game two, the the last pick red side for Morgan was the Irelia into the Jays goes one and four. I actually think that was a pretty pivotal point in the series where like, you know, you're your red side pick five and that's that's supposed to be the bread and butter and they were not able to make it work. I think Canna, um, Canna and Canning kind of had the, the upper hand in that matchup there. Um, and was kind of able to, you know, tip that what they were hoping was a, was an advantage from the, from the pick ban. Yeah. And the Aurelia, like I like the pick, they got a kill on it pretty early, but the rest of the game, they just weren't really able mm-hmm. to like utilize it that well. And it's, it, hugely in part to showmaker and the bot lane really being ahead to allow that focus, uh, to kind of go topside for Canna, um, mm-hmm. and, and Canyon to, to kind of win that top side as well. So, but yeah, Don Juan able to, able to seal it back up, not give it, not give a, a unfortunate series to, to Fred Aprian and, you know, keep their, keep their spot near the, near the top of the table, but they did fumble in the, in the early, in the early stages of the series. But I do, I do really want to get to the, uh, the call of duty tournament. I've got yeah. some questions for you and I want to start out with, what do you know about El Bagra fortress control? If I say that, what is that? mean to you uh i hate fortress in general that map okay i the map sucks it has a lot of spawn traps that are easily done it has a lot of angles that you can hold really easily from the defender side um Mm -hmm for whether you're playing control or if you're playing um search and destroy uh and even even on hard point i i don't like the map you're like the hard points have too many like weird little like there's there's one hard point where it's just right behind that big truck and it's mm-hmm. like you can just like lay there and just like there is no angle 
that people can like see you from without hopping around that corner. And if you're just laying prone, aiming down sights and have better reaction time, you just win that fight every time. So Mm -hmm. fortress itself, I don't really like. Um, And so. Yeah. Control. And also I personally don't like the control game mode. Um, Gotcha. I'm not. I, so Call of Duty, I had said the recently they released a ranked mode and all mm-hmm. for um, that. And so basically that ranked mode is like played by CDL rules, game modes, things like that as you're ranking up. It's not you're not getting team deathmatch and kill confirmed. You're playing right. hard point, search and destroy, control and just rotating through the different maps. But Fortress is is probably one of my least favorite maps, at least of, of this Call of Duty, personally. Yeah, okay. And that was that was the sense that I had gotten from the cast. Me and Sarah were watching... Um, we were watching Scump's co-stream of it. Nice. So getting, like, more of the pro insight rather than, like, hearing the cast and, like, having to hear all the ads and stuff. Well, it was... Their co-stream was really great. I just... I'll just say that for a for a new player coming to watch it, it was really great. They were swapping in and out at all the right times and given, you know, good bonus info. So that was great. So that came across your points about Fortress really came across mm-hmm. um, from their perspective as well. So that's why that's where I wanted to start. And yeah. Then- Scump is like he's been for a while a very and it I think it goes back to to some extent, like kind of the origination, like you were talking about optic back in the nade shot days, like way he was on that line. Yeah. Him and scump. But I think looking at some of those really old school call of duty players, if you look at some of the old school call of duty casters, courage, JD Merck, uh, some of these other guys, they are very good at, um, they're very well spoken about the game. And I think it goes mm-hmm. back to like back then to build a brand, to build your team and everything you had to, to really grind streaming and all. And so talk it like some of these newer guys that are playing in the call of duty league, like do not get numbers when they stream on their plat on whatever platform, because they are, just a really good player, but they don't have that, like that vocalization of what's going on and everything behind it. Where with some of these guys that had to grind out streaming from the get go to like make a living as well as like build their brand and everything. I think uh, guys like scump nade shot courage all have like really good, um, personas and personalities to like explain and do something like a co-stream. So I think mm. that's uh, cool that scump now having retired is, is hopping over and doing those co-streams because he has a ton of really um, like uh, just good insight on, on mm-hmm. the game and everything. 
yeah big time and it was cool it was cool to like have a team to root for too um because like coming into this like i i know some of the team org names you know like there's a there's a hundred thieves there's an optic there's a phase um toronto ultra which i think is ultra prime um Mm -hmm. so they have they have a league of legends team um so i easily could have just kind of like oh yeah like i'll just watch phase or like hundred thieves or whatever but through the co-stream it was fun to you know cheer with cheer for optic with them um so that was that was really fun and that brings me to my next point is the optic run at the tournament um so they get knocked out in you know winners round one by boston breach 3-0 so they get uh, just immediately dropped down into elimination round one and then they have just a litany of series to go through they go through royal ravens they beat them they go through the mutineers they beat them they got to go through seattle surge all right fine elimination round four they get the rematch against boston breach the team that drops them down into the losers bracket goes three one up against them bro and this is when shotzi and hook you can see the fucking Super Saiyan flames starting to like, you know, glow around them. Like, yeah. dude, they have so many games in at this point. They've played so many maps. Like, they're what you would call in the uh, in the in the drinking game world. They were fuego, baby. They were going off. So it was really fun to like follow that run. Like l- they literally made it all the way to the grand finals against the um, eventual winners, Ultra Prime. They go they go four two against them in the finals. But like <laughs> it was just an insane run. It's optics tournament. Scump is out there banging the drum. You know the whole fucking the whole stadium is like lit up in green. Everybody's wearing optic green wall shirts. Like it was a very exciting event from the optic perspective so it was kind of fun to like get that whole flavor yeah and it's neat that they have gone to this like regional kind of setup for the call of duty league Mm -hmm. um but it, it is interesting i'm curious to see like I don't know the locations of some of these other like majors that they're having but it would I would hope that a number of the other teams get essentially like a home major cuz this was at the um uh Optic Texas like mm-hmm. arena so yep. uh to some extent definitely uh, a little bit of a home home field advantage big there time. Uh, big time big <laughs> time so it's it's definitely um it's definitely an interesting like thing to start bringing in regional like fandoms and all, especially with the call of duty league, having teams who are UK based Canadian based, like uh, American based and all. I mean, you have the London Royal Ravens, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of different U S teams all over Toronto ultra. Um, and so you have a pretty, wide variety i guess of um locations that you could choose from for some of these different events so Um, yeah it was uh quite exciting from that perspective 
I want to talk about a couple of highlight matches and then my favorite part from the from the tournament. Um, so a couple of highlight matches were the Ultra Prime matchup. I guess this would be like, what would this be? Like Ultra Prime's like quarterfinal match against Boston Breach. They go 3-2, so it's a best of five. It, going into the match, it was set up that Boston Breach was the favorites. They had, I believe, they were like undefeated in... I think going in, they were like undefeated in like search and destroy or something. And mm. Ultra Prime was able to overcome them on their maps. So they they put themselves into the winner's final. And then in the down in the losers bracket, Vegas Legion versus uh Los Angeles Thieves. So Legion heavily unfavored in this matchup, apparently. Like their tournament run was supposed to be over. So you have veteran clayster playing on vegas legion and he had some insane pop-off moments that like kept them in these games get them over the hump to where like it they didn't like scrape through the series they go 3-1 to put themselves into round three they get 3-0 by breach but their their game against thieves was like a triumph and you could tell, like, these dudes were hype. Clayster was, like, up out of his seat. He was pounding his chest. Like, these dudes were going crazy. Um, so those were a couple of, like, kind of upset matches. Well, and then when FaZe got beat by Ultra Prime as well, they were kind of on a run. Like, FaZe was probably supposed to win this tournament, according to, like, Scump and them. FaZe was probably going to win the tournament. They get upset by Ultra. So just, like, all of these little storylines going on, it was actually a pretty exciting tournament. Yeah, and uh, a couple All cool right. runs, like looking at uh, Toronto Ultra going through, not losing any, like they didn't, they ran it all the way through from uh, the start, all the way through the winner's bracket up to, yep. to beating Optic Texas at the end. Um, but the Atlanta phase after losing 3-1 to uh, Toronto Ultra drops down in the loser's bracket to face the Optic Texas team who has gone through a ridiculous loser's bracket run up until this point um, playing, what is that, uh, do some some quick math, 17 different maps uh, or game modes before um, coming up to that matchup against the Atlanta phase and knocking them out. So the phase just kind of came up against two different teams that were on a kind of different streaky runs at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, definitely an interesting, um, uh, a couple of interesting storylines, but there's still um, two more majors this season before going into the Call of Duty uh, championship here. So there's still a, a lot of good Call of Duty to, to be watched. Dude, and I'm I'm looking forward to it now. I think that's super exciting. What I'm very much looking forward to is more of the listen-ins. So they had like team listen-ins live in games. Mm. So you could hear them like while they were making the plays. Dude, it is some of the sickest comms you've ever heard because it's so fast. It's so fast. These guys are translating or like they're 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 delivering and parsing through so much information at such 
it it blew my mind every time it was on and i was just like these guy i'm in love with every single one of these people it was so cool the way they were calling out positions like how positions were changing and the maps are so fluid they're so fucking fast so it was hard points a really fun mode to watch because hard point was my favorite part search and destroy i i don't like playing because i if i if you die like you're just done <laughs> like you're just watching the grace and like watching your I, play. yeah and i i'm like bad enough that that happens decently often um and control i just don't like the game mode in general sure. I think it's kind of wonky i've only played it like twice so it's not like i'm just not comfortable with it but hard point like the rotations the way they're moving around the map knowing where not only the hard point spawns next but knowing where when they wipe the other team they are going to be spawning and knowing mm-hmm. which in there and like expecting them to to come onto the hard point and everything is just it's super impressive i've watched mm-hmm. streamers do it um i've watched uh, a little bit of cdl here and there like tidbit a uh, little clip mm. and it's so you know exactly what i'm talking about it's crazy it's so wild yeah um, so but there's there's also it's interesting there's uh, a couple more things that have been uh gentlemen's agreemented uh until they get like patched i guess in the game there's some uh some jump up spots and um so i think hotel has one of them there's like a weird jump up spot in the kitchen that you can get on top of the range hood that's in the middle above the island and like nice sneak around so there's a bunch of little like glitchy spots that uh that people like me can use when i play but they sure agreed not to uh to use in the professional leagues so well and they're they're better gentlemen than i am but yeah optic major 3 was super exciting looking looking forward to more call of duty majors looking forward to any majors to be fair uh but yeah that kind of kind of brings us brings us through the meat of the show Aaron, why don't you give me your flavor of the week here sounds good so uh for my music this week i uh, just have been jamming out to and enjoying Endless Summer Vacation by Miley Cyrus, her new album that she released. Um, a big Miley stan. Uh, and this album, it's got some really cool songs, some cool um, just like sounds. It's very like 80s sounding with uh, with a lot of the beats and music and, and the production on it, which I enjoy. Um, there's a couple songs here and there with, uh, like I'm, I'm going to have to check out, um, uh, Anthony Fantano's review. I don't know if he's done one yet, but I'm sure he will if he hasn't, but, um, I'm curious to see what some critics say because there are some songs on the album that I'm just like, that was just kind of a weird song. Um, and it's like, I don't dislike it, but I don't like it either i'm just Mm. like that seems kind of like wonky but Mm. on the album like the album as a whole i enjoy like the more like standard songs i guess you would say as opposed to some of these like more quirky like uh kind of styles but i think it's experimental yeah like I, i think it's interesting that she's uh they're almost like interludes um as opposed to like like nor like standard songs like 
something that like um, Lupe would do, like an interlude where there's it's like a one and a half to two minute thing, but it's like not really an actual song on the album, right. but it helps to develop the album as a whole. Um, but I, I have been enjoying that album quite a bit. Um, for my food this week, uh, this past weekend, Colleen and I got some wings from Spot here in town, and we got, um, she got buffalo and garlic parm, and then we mixed them to mix the sauces together. So it was like a liquid garlic parm sauce, not like a dry rub. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you're, <laughs> you're not impressed. Why? Why? I'm just, no, I'm just listening. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought I, you, the, the look, I was like, I was like, oh, Justin thinks this is disgusting. <laughs> no, I continued to. I'm just listening. Uh, but yeah, the, the combo of the garlic parm and the buffalo sauce, it's pretty good. Uh, like I wouldn't have thought to try it, but I like the combination. It gives a like some good flavor along with that like spice and everything. Uh, so enjoyed doing a little bit of a little bit of taste testing with the uh, the wings this past weekend. So my my face reaction was curious about how you went about mixing those flavors. Do they have like tubs that they give you and then you pour it on? Oh or yeah, you end up having to like hump chicken wings together to like, nah. <laughs> like trade paint. You know what I mean? No. So Colleen had ordered buffalo wings with a side of the garlic parmesan like sauce that they have for their wings, right. okay, um, gotcha. but they ended up giving us all the sauces on the side so they gave us like because she normally orders like buffalo wings with an extra thing of buffalo sauce because gotcha not saucy enough but we ended up with two things of buffalo sauce and one thing of garlic parm and just like slopped them all together there okay that's so, cool that's yeah. cool that makes so no we weren't we weren't uh making the chickens like rub their their sauces all over each other well, I mean, that would like take a while. To oh yeah, that would be a, that would be a process. So now, and we, that was my face. I was like, okay. that sounds like such an effort. I saw, I saw your face. And I'm like, he, I think he's disgusted by the flavor. Sounds amazing. <laughs> disgusted by the effort that you would have went through to oh, get yeah, that done. No, no, no. So okay. not a not a big effort. Oh yeah. <laughs> but my uh, my visual medium this week, Colleen and I also watched a movie called triangle of sadness it is on hulu it's um i don't know if it was up for any uh awards at the oscars or anything but it was a it was an interesting movie um it's about a like party yacht cruise that these like russian billionaires and models and people are on and uh the like ship ends up wrecking and it's a weird um it's like a a class or it's a um depiction of like the class struggle where like initially on the boat all these crazy rich people are just telling all the staff to just do everything that they want them to do, do this, do that, like dance for me, monkey kind of thing. Um, but then when, when shit gets real, the, uh, the people who are the workers and everything are kind of flipped around to be, uh, kind of on top of the, Oh, like, no, I know what I'm doing 
to to keep this going. I'm in charge now. Very cool. So uh, it's a it's an interesting movie. Ends with a little bit of a not not quite, but um, it everyone at the end of it is sad so it turns into a triangle of sadness there um but uh, a very interesting movie leaves you kind of wonder it's one of those leaves you wondering uh or imagining what exactly happens at the end doesn't give you quite everything so uh solid movie i would recommend it but that is my flavor of the week very cool um my the movie that well, me and Sarah, I'll give it to you like this. Me and Sarah got through films one and two of the uh, Maze Runner trilogy. Um, Ooh, so the Maze okay. Runner and then the Scorch Trials. Yeah. Dude. I love those movies. They're great. They they're are really good. I, I agree. And a lot of the questions that they raise, like, in the world building and, like, why things have happened, some of the characters, some of the some of the tools that some of the characters have access to, like fascinates me. Like the radio that uh, Giancarlo's character has in the second film, like mm-hmm. you know where he puts the record on, you know blows blows the whole place. But he has a fucking radio. Like the power that that would be in an apocalypse. Like you control the information. So like yeah. they're while just a good film within them. There's all these like very interesting questions or like I'll be in the first one where it's like my man had to be here for a month by himself. And you can, you can just think about that idea for like an hour and it's just terrifying. The grievers yeah. like screeching at night alone in that glade, like that in and of itself is just, oh, terrifying. I, would, I would cry so much. A hundred percent. So it, it, <laughs> It just is so successful on a lot of levels. So me and her are really excited to get to the third one, Death Cure. Um, so yeah, nice. we're really enjoying that. Our food for the week, she made up classic chicken piccata. And then we were able to uh, supplement with some extra pasta because we go crazy when we eat it. Um, so we end up having to make more, um, at least of like one ingredient usually. Um, gotcha. So always, always a fun thing. And then my music, and this is this is a... a a good one i didn't i i guess i missed it when it came out in 2022 lupe fiasco's i guess one of his more recent projects called drill music in zion it was a studio release Mm. killer bro killer just as good as drogas wave just as good as tetsuo and youth Uh, killer dude seattle it's the I would say it's one of my like early favorites, early standouts, but dude, it's just like, oh man, it's everything I needed right in the moment that I found it. It was great. So drill nice. music in Zion was, goes, goes crazy. Um, but yeah, that's my flavor of the week. Very cool. I know how much you love Lupe. It's funny that I mentioned him uh, when I was going through mine. I, I, I was thinking that I was like, "You're the Nostradamus." Yeah, I'd, apparently both of us were we're doing a little psychic uh, readings this week. But um, if you guys want to be some psychics, predict what's going to happen in the F1 race this weekend. Why don't you throw it in the comments there on the YouTube video or That's hit good. us up on Twitter? Um, you can find us on Twitter at Tall and Short of One. Of course, check us out on YouTube for the video versions, but we're on Spotify, Google Podcasts, 
so we're really appreciative of everyone who checks us out on uh, whatever media you do and uh, listens to us uh, just chat and, and talk about all this fun stuff week after week. So, uh, so thank you for that. But yeah, uh, thank you for tuning in. We really appreciate you. Tell your friends new episodes every Thursday. But other than that, just thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate you. Have a good rest of your week. Peace out, everybody. Later.